And good morning. Good to see so many of you have made it out, have dug out from the winter storm we had during the week, and it's good to see you here. And a warm welcome to all the visitors that uh, have come, and to all those that are going to be joining us online in the media. Uh, we hope that you'll be blessed by this morning's service. We worship a wonderful, loving Savior. It was during this time between Easter and Ascension Day that Jesus walked among men, confirming his resurrection and bringing salvation to those who believe. And so I am reminded of Psalm 96, verses 1 to 3, that I'd like to bring to you. And it says, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord. Praise his name. Proclaim his salvation day after day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous deeds among all peoples. So for our opening prayer this morning, would, I would like to again have you join me uh, in concluding with the Lord's Prayer after I say, as the Lord taught us to pray. So I would ask to please stand for those of you that are able to. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can gather in this manner to worship you. Lord, receive our worship in music and in song, and may the message this morning bring us closer in fellowship with you. Thank you, Lord, for your guidance in prayer, and we humbly join together before you now as you taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Please be seated. Good morning. If you don't mind, we'll stand again and sing together. Jesus Christ is present here. And these first three songs that we're singing are all in your bulletin, if you'd like the music. Jesus Christ is present here. Jesus Christ is present here. Jesus Christ is present here with us. Jesus Christ is present here. Jesus Christ is present here with us. Hallelujah, 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 praise the Lord. Hallelujah, 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 praise the Lord. We'll be happy and rejoice, we'll be happy and rejoice. We'll be happy and rejoice. 
may be seated if you'd like for the next songs. You are my all in all. the next song, Light of God, we'll sing verse 1, and then verse 2, and then the chorus, and then verse 3 and 4, and then the chorus. Light of God, come dwell within your peace. 
the time to take a look at our bulletin. There is lots happening this week and uh, so I'll highlight a few. Our missionaries of the week on page two, my, pardon me, our missionaries of the week are K and K and I've received a message from them which I can pass along to you and it says thanks for praying for us. We thank God for opportunity to work with local believers and participate in a local Arabic fellowship. Please continue to pray for open doors to share the good news. There are still so many that have not heard. There have been also some significant security issues in the region and a number of local believers have been imprisoned. Please pray for their release. And remember to pray for the leaders at GBC Stonehouse as they encourage the students in their Christian walk. And uh, our spring hymn sing service will be held here in our church next Sunday at 3 p.m. in the afternoon with Paspa to follow. And persons with health needs in Boundary Trails are Helena Falk and Susan Letkeman. In Swan Lake Hospital are Mary Duick and John Suderman. And uh, Rita Friesen is in the Red River Lodge in Morris, and I'm told that Sarah Newfoot is also there. Rem remember them in prayer, and I'm sure there are many more struggling at home who also appreciate your prayers. Then on to page three. Wendy Weeb has uh, consented to serve on the personnel committee and the affirmation vote will be next Sunday following the worship service. And then the MCI in Gretna is holding an important meeting this coming Tuesday at 7 p.m. This is an opportunity to learn more about the school and participate in restructuring their vision, providing Christian education for the students. All are welcome to attend. Then this coming Friday, April 28th, at from 5 to 7 p.m., there is a sausage and pierogi dine-in and take-out fundraiser in the church here by the Gospel Equipment Ministry. 
The proceeds go to providing good and evil comic book action Bibles to prisoners across Canada. They're also asking for help in setting tables, serving, and cleanup. And there's a sign-up sheet by the small bulletin board in the foyer. And Mark would like to add uh, uh, comments to this. Mark, please. Yes, good morning. Like Bill was telling us, we are holding a fundraiser this Friday uh, for these comic book action Bibles that we send to prisons in Canada. Uh, and like he said, we will be having sausage and pierogies with Schmontfot, with a side of coleslaw, and supper should be finished up with pie, right? Pie. And we'll be sharing around 5.30. I hope to be sharing some, ex I will be telling about the ministry a little bit, and we have some exciting news to share. Um, with those who will be, with those who will be there. Um, and like he said, we are also looking for some help with some serving and some cleanup afterwards. And um, if you are willing to help us, we'd sure appreciate the help. So this is all happening on Friday, this coming Friday, for supper at five to seven. And uh, we look forward to seeing you. Thank you. Thank you, Mark. And. Uh, I would encourage you to review the rest of the bulletin on your own. So uh, let us uh, bow for prayer. Our Heavenly Father, thank you for your invitation to bring our praises and also our concerns to you. And we bring before you Helena Falk and Susan Leckeman in Boundary Trails, and we pray that your healing hand be upon them. Our hopes are for uh, Mary Duick, John Suderman, and Rita Friesen, and Sarah Neufeld to receive their awaited placement in Salem Home. We pray that your protecting hand be with K and K as they reach out to the many who have not yet heard the good news, and that those that are held may be set free. We pray that your guiding hand be with the GVC Stonehouse spiritual leaders as they mentor the students. Thank you, Lord, that you have inspired Pastor Victor to bring to us your message. Give him the words to speak, and open our hearts to receive the message. Now, as we share of the bounty entrusted to us, we pray that it will be a blessing in the building of your kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Ushers, please come forward to receive the offertory. Join us as we sing Goodness of God. the goodness of God. 
Scripture reading this morning is taken from 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 to 15. To those who through Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who through the righteousness of our God and our Savior Jesus Christ have received a faith as precious as ours, grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of our Jesus our, Jesus, our Lord. Making his divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these he has given us very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to your goodness knowledge and to knowledge self-control and to self-control perseverance and to perseverance godliness and to godliness brotherly kindness and to brotherly kindness love 
For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But if anyone does not have them, he is nearsighted and blind and has forgotten that he has been cleansed from his past sins. Therefore, my brothers, be all the more eager to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, you will, remember, you will never fall, and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So I will always remind you of these things, even though you know them and are firmly established in the truth you now have. I think it is right to refresh your memory as long as I live in the tent of this body, because I know that I will soon put it aside as our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. And I will make every effort to see that, every, that after my departure, you will always be able to remember these things. Well, good morning. Greetings in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I trust that as we open the word together this morning, that we're gonna be nourished and strengthened for godly living in a corrupt world. Today I'm starting a series in 2 Peter. And using the words of Peter, I've entitled this sermon, Make Your Calling and Election Sure. Peter's first letter was written to encourage the church that had been dispersed due to persecution and was suffering because of their faith in Jesus Christ. He encouraged the church to be steadfast in faith and instructed them on what, looks, on what that looks like in society, in the church, and in the home. And we had, uh, I think Pastor Dean preached through First Peter some time ago. How long ago was that? I was trying to remember, I couldn't remember. Last year? Last year? <laughs> okay. My memory is still like a rabbit's tail, short and fuzzy. Um, Second Peter is Peter's last letter, which he wrote shortly before he died. This letter was likely penned in a Roman prison in about 67 or 68 AD, a few years after the great fire of Rome, which Emperor Nero blamed on the Christians, and he then began to persecute them. Peter was concerned that his fellow believers would stand strong in understanding, in the understanding of who they were in Christ. And he was also concerned about false teachings that were surfacing in the church. And he warned about false prophets and, and false teachers. And finally, Peter encouraged the church to remember the word of God through the prophets, that scoffers would come, and so would the day of the Lord, in which judgment would come for the ungodly. Well, this letter is remarkably fitting for our day, isn't it? We too need reminders of who we are in Christ and what that means for daily life. I think we struggle to put ourselves under the authority of Jesus and his word. Do we really fear and respect Jesus? Are we afraid to disobey him? It is also abundantly clear that we are living in a time of false teaching. The challenge is that we know some of the false teachers and many other people that we know are following them. Our desire to maintain relationship with wayward people that we know 
seems to collide with our desire to stand in the right place theologically. Am I right? It's difficult to do, isn't it? How do we stand immovable on God's word and love our wayward friends and family and maintain relationship? Then finally, in chapter 3, Peter addresses the day of the Lord. I spoke on hell a few weeks ago, and uh, a number of people responded, saying that we haven't really heard much teaching on hell ever. And it's just as, just as unlikely that we've heard much teaching on the day of the Lord. Many preachers will not preach a message on this. To do so would uh, acknowledge... Um, would acknowledge God's judgment on sin and on those who devote their lives to it. If one does not accept, accept Scripture's definition of sin, then preaching on judgment doesn't make much sense. So we've got some good thoughts to work our way through in this letter. And uh, let me encourage you uh, to read Second Peter every week. Scratch down a few thoughts, what you think it's saying, and... Uh, Let's see if what I'm preaching and, and what you're catching, see if it lines up. Maybe it can lead to a few good discussions. <clears throat> so let's turn to 2 Peter. <clears throat> the address in this letter clearly identifies the apostle Peter as the author. What's interesting is that this is the only time that Simon Peter is called Simeon Peter. <clears throat> uh, Ron read it the way I always read it. I always read Simon Peter, Simon Peter. But here it's actually Simeon Peter. And uh, I'm not sure why that is, but there's no other Peter that can claim to be an eyewitness of Jesus' transfiguration, which he does in verses 16 to 18 of chapter 1. Simeon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours, by the righteousness of God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. One thing that is important to Peter is something that he learned early in the life of the church. Do you remember the account of Peter's dream where uh, he was staying in Joppa, right? This big sheet was let down. He, well, he kind of fell into a trance, and then this big sheet came down, and it was filled with all kinds of animals, reptiles, and birds, and then... Uh, the Lord said, rise, Peter, kill and eat. And Peter refused. He said, no. I, I, uh, Peter refused, saying that he had never eaten anything common or unclean. So obviously what was in this sheet was all common and unclean, according to the law. Well, then a few days later, when Peter was at the house of Cornelius, a God-fearing Roman centurion, he understood. Peter said, truly, I understand that God shows no partiality. But in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable in his eyes. In this greeting, Peter recognized and assured those to whom he was writing that believing Gentiles and believing Jews are on equal ground. Jews had long claimed to be God's chosen people uh, because God had declared that to them, that they were his treasured possession. But under the new covenant that Jesus enacted on the, at the Last Supper, anyone who fears him and does what is right is declared righteous. 
This was a good affirmation for the early church in their understanding of who they were, especially as they were facing all kinds of uh, false teaching. And possibly they also faced the same Judaizers that Paul encountered who insisted that certain Jewish practices had to be maintained in order to be right with God. And then Peter wrote, May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and Jesus our Lord. Well, what does that mean? In the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. It raises the question whether grace and peace can be multiplied to us without that knowledge or by some other means. So what is knowledge? And can knowledge be relegated to that which is held in the mind? Let me ask you a few questions. Who of you has learned to cook by reading recipes? Does one know how to golf by, memori by memorizing the how-to manual? <laughs> what can we know about reconciliation if we don't either forgive or confess our sins? We say that we know God if we hear his word and don't do it. To know God is to heed his word with action. To know God is to obey the teaching of Scripture. James 1.22 says this, Be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. So when we say we know, but we haven't done, we deceive ourselves into thinking that we do know, when in fact we don't. So it is through the knowledge of God, our obedience to his teachings, that grace and peace are multiplied to us. When we obey God, we have peace with him. Grace and peace are multiplied when we walk according to his ways. Well, after the greeting, Peter goes on to talk about what is true, because we know God. Verses 3 and 4 are loaded with meaning. And I'm not sure my explanation this morning is going to be super helpful, but I'm going to give it a go. So I'll start at verse 3. His divine power has granted us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. There's a mouthful and a mindful. That is a statement about who we are in Christ. But it is so tightly packed that I'm going to do a little unpacking here. His divine power is basically another way to say God. God has granted to us everything we need for life and godliness. The life he's talking about is our spiritual life, our life of faith in the Son of God while we walk in these earthly bodies. What Peter is saying is that we lack nothing in being able to live the Christian life. There is nothing that we yet need to be able to live a life that is pleasing to God. And this provision comes to us through what? Through the knowledge of God who called us. 
This provision of all things that pertain to life and godliness does not come to us apart from knowing God. And it doesn't come to us through experiencing God. It doesn't come to us through feelings about God. It comes to us through knowledge. And as we said before, knowing is obeying, or maybe obeying is knowing. We not only need to read our Bibles daily, we need to obey what we read. Listen to what John wrote. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. So there we are. To love God is to be active in obedience to his teaching, to love him and to love one another. And in loving each other, we know God which releases to us everything we need to live a godly life. Let's continue. I always have to start at the beginning of the verse because it all runs together. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. NIV says glory and goodness by which he granted to us his precious and very great promises. What does it mean to be called to his glory and goodness? Sometimes it helps to use other words. One commentator used these words, splendor and moral excellence. I have to confess, I always struggle to visualize what glory actually means, but the word splendor helps me with that. So how do we understand it? To be called to his own splendor and moral excellence. As we are brought face to face with God's splendor and moral excellence, does it not confront our human nature? It reveals the corruption of the world in us. But it doesn't stop there. God's splendor and moral excellence also brings with it the promise of something better, better than our corruption. It brings hope. Have you ever had one of those moments when the most righteous person in your life shows up to find you at, your, at a moral low point? You instantly become aware of your shame as your righteous friend sees you exposed at your worst. But in that moment, your friend reaches out to you to help you to your feet. As embarrassed and ashamed as you are, the presence of your righteous friend gives you hope because you know that it doesn't have to be this way. Your sin is confronted by your friend's righteousness. And at the same time, there is hope for a nobler way. When we're confronted with God's splendor and moral excellence, we know immediately our guilt and our shame. 
But with this realization come the promises of God for forgiveness of sin and the power to live a life that is pleasing to him. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Through the knowledge of him, that's obedience, who called us to his own splendor and moral excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that, now here's the reason for it all, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature having escaped the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. It is through God's great promises that we are able to participate in the divine nature. Commentator Edwin Bloom said this, First, the promises themselves have a purifying effect on the believer's life. And then he references 1 John 3, verse 3, which says, Everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. So the promises have a way of purifying us. Second, conversion entails a definite break with the corruption caused by evil desire. Thus, in coming to know God through Christ, the believer escapes the corruption of sin. And Christ renews and restores the image of God in him. Both in confronting us with his moral excellence and in granting to us his great and precious promises, we escape the corrupt nature and take hold of the divine nature as we are transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. There is a lot here to chew on. It's difficult to understand in just a couple of readings because this is not a sequence of events. Uh, everything in verses 3 and 4 kind of happens together, but it's a lot of things happening all together. <clears throat> so verses 3 and 4 remind us who we are in Christ. Verse 5 begins a new but related thought. For this very reason... And what very reason is that? I think it means everything that verses 3 and 4 say. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith. I think we could say that verses 3 and 4 are a picture of our spiritual birth. And following that, our new life begins. It begins with faith because of the work of God in our lives. Faith is the first righteous thing we do. Faith is believing God and trusting him. And Peter reminded the church of what has taken place in their lives to bring them to faith. And now he wants to set them on a firm path towards spiritual maturity, preparing them to stand against false teachers and prophets. We'll come to that in chapter 2. Now as we read, 5 to 7, it is mostly self-explanatory. So let me read it. For this reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, 
and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. Some of those words we don't use very much. And again, I think substitutes help us to think what this means. So I'm going to throw in a few substitutes and read it for you again. Make every effort to supplement your faith with moral excellence and moral excellence with obedience and obedience with self-control and self-control with endurance and endurance with right behavior and right behavior with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. That's not a list that requires a whole lot of explanation. I think we all know what it's requiring of us. But it certainly does require us to think about these things and to put them into practice. Do we accept the authority of Jesus and his word over every aspect of our lives? This is, then this is one assignment for our daily life while we wait for his return. Notice that the list ends with love. Remember what we read from 1 John a few moments ago. Whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God. This would suggest that we don't work on this list sequentially, right? We don't start with faith and then, you know, take a year to work on each one of these things. Uh, because love is at the end. If we don't love, we don't know God. I think we need to work on all of this as a package, work on each one of these things uh, together. Um, we enter faith having experienced the love of God, at which point he also fills us with love so that we love others. And the point that I'm making is that, is that knowing God means loving God, and loving God means obedience to his teachings. And so here's a teaching that we can obey and demonstrate that we know and love God. Now look at verse 8. Here we see the value of nurturing these qualities. Peter says, For if these qualities are yours, in in, are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. The value of practicing these qualities is that they keep us from being useless. I think this is another way of saying that if you only have head knowledge and you don't practice these things, you will be ineffective and unfruitful. The purpose of mentioning these qualities is that we practice them. When we give instructions to our children, is it only for them to hear the words? <laughs> or do we expect something to happen? And I think we have to expect the same thing from our Heavenly Father. He's expecting something to happen. We expect obedience when we instruct our children. Peter goes on to say that anyone who lacks these qualities cannot see. Well, cannot see what? I think it means spiritually he cannot see. It makes me wonder if it's the same thing that Paul was talking about to the Corinthians, where he said the natural
natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. Is that the kind of person that Peter is talking about? If that's what Peter is saying, then this is a warning to people who want to call themselves Christian, yet don't take God seriously. Failing to know God through obedience to his teachings puts us in a precarious place. It may give rise to doubt about one's calling. Therefore, brothers, Peter says, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. There seems to be no middle ground on this instruction. By practicing the qualities of verses 5 to 7, we confirm our calling and election. In other words, we show that God has called us to faith in Christ and that we are his. Exercising these virtues assures that we will never fall, ensuring our entrance into his kingdom. So what are verses 10 and 11 saying? Is this works righteousness? Can heaven be earned? What is emphasized here is that believing cannot be separated from obedience to the teachings. How can I call myself Christian when I do not do what Jesus says? What is demonstrated when there is no obedience? If through a life of obedience I confirm my calling, then a life of disobedience suggests that I don't belong. When thinking about these things, I often go back to the parable of the sower and the four soil types. Three types of soil responded to the word of God and sprouted. Only one did not. Of the three that responded, one was choked out, one dried up, and only one survived, but thrived. Peter's warning is real. Shipwreck of faith is possible when we are not diligent to obey the teachings. Peter has one more conclusion to make here. Therefore, I intend to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. I think it right, as long as I am in this body, to stir you up by way of reminder, since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. And I will make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able at any time to recall these things. Peter was a concerned shepherd, doing what Jesus had asked him to do, to tend the flock and feed the sheep. He knew that his time was short, and he was concerned that the flock would remember the teachings and be faithful to Jesus. I trust that is the case for all of us. When our days are drawing to a close, I hope we all take the opportunity to point our loved ones to the cross one more time. So what can we take from all this? Let me give you an assignment. 
Why don't you memorize verses 3 and 4 of chapter 1? Memorize those two verses. And as you work through the words in your mind over and over, think about what they mean and let them reassure you of the miraculous rebirth that has taken place in you. And then write down verses 5 to 7 and post them somewhere where you will see them every day. You might want to memorize those too. Since God has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him, let's practice the teaching in verses 5 to 7 and confirm God's calling and election on our lives. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, we've heard a lot of words here from Peter and at first glance, it's hard to take it all in. So I pray that you would work with us as we commit some of these words to memory and as we try to practice what we're being taught. And we want to do it, Father, because we understand from your word that knowing means obeying. We want to be obedient. We want to walk in your steps. And thank you, Father, that you have provided for us everything that we need to live a life that is pleasing to you. Hallowed be your name. Amen. Please stand with us and we'll sing number 581, I Am Thine, O Lord.
confession to make, and that is that uh, I told Bill that Sarah Neufeld was in Red River Lodge. She's not. She's at Salem. So, uh, correction that we should all know about. Anyways, would you bow with me to pray? The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Spirit be with you all. Amen. Amen.